Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. In our history, Wales has a sad record of poverty, but as we get deeper into the 21st century, it is clear that this is not just part of our past, but a tragic part of the present day for many in Wales. The Bevan Foundation's latest work, A Snapshot of Poverty in Winter 2021, reported last week, with the key headline that nearly four in 10 Welsh households are struggling to make ends meet. Joining us tonight is the report's author, Dr. Steph Evans, who's the head of policy, bracket poverty, at the Bevan Foundation. Hi, Steph. Hi, good evening. Thanks for joining us. So the Bevan Foundation has got a long history of excellent work in this area, and I, I think it's fair to say that with Wales's long record of poverty, your latest research says that this is going to continue to be the case. Could you can sort of talk us through some of the key aspects of this most recent piece of work? Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, as you said, you know, poverty has long been a, a problem in Wales. So, you know, headed into the pandemic, um, not far off a quarter of people, about 700,000 people were living in poverty in Wales. You know, and that was up to about 31% of children. So, you know, but the situation wasn't great. And and frankly, there'd been virtually no progress in about a decade kind of heading up to, to the pandemic uh, as well. But kind of what our latest research um, has done um, it's third uh, in, in a series of um, polls that you have undertaken on our behalf, because obviously a lot of the official data is going to be quite badly out of date due to the impact of the pandemic. So the, the, the official poverty data in Wales, because the sample size is quite small, is averaged out over three years. So we're not really going to know the true extent of the impact of a pandemic on poverty by the official stats for another two or three years. So, you know, by which point we're out of a crisis. So what we try to do is to get a sense of how a family's managing and, you know, that gives us a proxy maybe in terms of, 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 of poverty. And what that has shown is that, you know, as you said, there's really high numbers of people really struggling. So nearly four in 10 Welsh households are now struggling to afford anything beyond the basics in Wales. And, you know, the number of households who even struggle to do that now is more than the number of households there are in Cardiff. So the extent of the challenge really is quite clear now. Those are some really shocking stats you just uh, quoted there, Steph. I think 700,000 people, 31% of children. It, it is so, such sad reading, really. But um, it's, I suppose it's that inequality. But while incomes are falling, that's not for everyone. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So I, I think that is really one of the stark things that comes out. And, and it actually follows, there was a similar pattern in our polling in May as well. So it shows that uh, for those households with an income of over 40,000, and that's that's a combined income as well. So if it's two workers, the, the, the two of them, and, and includes benefits, one in five, roughly, um, a bit more than that, saw their incomes increase since May. Whereas if you look at households with a combined income of less than 40,000, on average, 30% of those households saw their incomes decrease. So, you know, this whole idea that, um, you know, kind of building back better, kind of uh, all, all that talk we heard a lot of in 2020, you know, it's just not materialising. And, and, and there is that inequality baked into the recovery or what recovery there is at the moment. In the report, when you discussed living costs and the, the standard of living, the cost of living seems to be going up and the standards of living of many people seem to be under quite a lot of pressure. Do you think the future is quite bleak in this area? I think it's certainly a challenging few months ahead of us. So, you know, as he said, living costs have undoubtedly gone up. You know, this is something that's been in the news um, throughout the autumn, really, you know, in terms of um, energy prices in particular. But that's really shown through in the data. So, you know, um, 60% households reporting, um, over 60% households, I should say, reporting um, an increase in their utility bills, 
um, over half reported an increase in the cost of food. And, you know, that's before we enter the coldest months of the year, you know, when people are going to, you know, have to start to use even more energy. And, and that's on top of big increases that, that we, we'd seen in the period running up to May anyway. So these are increases on top of increases. And there's no real indication um, from, you know, from experts in, in, in the field, you know, on energy, on food, etc. That suggests there's any indication that those costs are going to come down anytime soon. One of the areas I've worked on, Steph, is about the the inequality and the poverty because it's not across the board, really, is it? It hits some more than others. So low-income households, renters, disabled people, lone parents, they're more likely to be in poverty than other groups. Is that still the case? Did the research find anything that altered that kind of perspective? No, absolutely. You know, there's certainly um, some groups that are at greater risk. So... Um, renters absolutely come through in this, and in particular, because um, whilst homeowners um, broadly report not seeing an increase in their housing costs, that's really not the case for renters. So renters are having to manage all the other increases in costs that everyone else is seeing, and then managing an increase in their rent on top of that. And that's social and private sector that's come through kind of um, over multiple surveys we've run. Disabled people, uh, again, are another group um, that we have seen um, throughout these polls and indeed in the poverty data, really, it, it does have an impact. So, um, you know, not far off, half the people living in poverty in Wales have a disabled family member. And um, so, you know, that, that is, you know, so it's, it's one of those kind of factors that not only has a high proportion, but also high numbers as well. So, it, you know, if we want to make a real difference to, um, to poverty in Wales, um, that, that, that's something we need to get to grips with. Ethnicity is something that we don't aren't able to really tease out here because the sample size isn't big enough. But from the data we have elsewhere in the UK, it, you know, I don't think it's um, a, a, you know, it's, it'd be very strange if we weren't seeing similar patterns at play in Wales, where um, also some um, some some ethnic groups were also and minority ethnic groups were also at higher higher risk of of, of living in poverty and, and feeling the pinch as well. So absolutely, there is that inequality between groups that that, that really has an impact. I did. I did read the report, but I just want to check. Did I miss? Was there anything in there about the poverty inequality between men and women, or is there anything a background? Because that's something I was quite interested in as well. Yeah. So we haven't got anything in the report because we've asked by household. So this this is one of the challenges with with calculating poverty is that poverty tends to be calculated by households, um, which means it's quite difficult to extrapolate the experiences of men and women. Um, so, um, you know, because, you know, when you look at a tradition, you know, kind of a couple of mixed um, sex households, a couple households, their income is viewed as one, but there's obviously dynamics that might be at play within those households that mean that there's some data that suggests that women might be, you know, have less access to that cash maybe than, than the man in, in, in that situation. So, so there is that undercurrent. Single parents, we know, are overwhelmingly women in terms of of a data and we know that single parents are um you know a group that really really felt the pinch so certainly in that context we know that that's a context that women are likely to be feeling the pinch more than men you know referring back again to the children stat you quoted earlier and i think you know again one of the things the bevan foundation does really well is is highlight child poverty in wales which uh shames us all really in many ways but you know, can you talk us through a little bit of the what the research found about children in poverty? You know, that that's still increasing in Wales. Is that right? Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that 
probably was starkest for us in terms of going through the data and probably most concerning. You know, we saw fairly high numbers reporting, cutting back on stuff like, you know, books, clothes, children, nappies, uh, all of that sort of stuff. In particular, with regard to food for children, I think we have seen a step change from the previous polls we run. So for a household with two children, 10% are now reporting that they're cutting back on food for their children. And, you know, that's really concerning in itself. We know that long-term health and educational impact that's likely to have. But also we weren't really seeing that in the early polls we were running. So the polls we ran back in May and around this time last year, that wasn't coming through as clear. But what was coming through then was seemingly parents were cutting back on food for themselves and to try and protect their children. So there's a concern, I think, but now that parents have exhausted their ability to cut back on themselves to protect their children and are now having to cut back on their children as well. So I think you, you don't want to claim from the data because obviously there's margins of errors and stuff, but there does seem to be that shift, which is really, really, really troubling, you know, if, if that does carry on that trend. I think the research brought out a lot of really interesting points. And one bit which struck me was that uh, 12% of Welsh households are at least a month behind the bill. What What is the situation with personal debt and money issues? Is it one of the kind of main factors around poverty in Wales? So this is another one where the pandemic has really deepened existing inequality. So we did quite a bit of work on this over the summer, actually, because this was something that really caught our eye in the last survey we ran back in May. So what seems to have happened is, um, certainly up until the summer, the overall level of unsecured debt in the UK had actually fallen over the course of a pandemic. But what had happened, in essence, was that middle to upper income households had not been able to go out to restaurants, go on holidays, um, you know, kind of go to places that they had used to be able to go and spend their money and had therefore been able to pay down credit card debt, etc., that sort of stuff. Lower income households were already living on tight margins. So there wasn't really, when lockdown happened, there wasn't an awful lot to cut anyway in, in people's um, expenditure. And also there wasn't, you know, a lot of people were working in the sectors that medium to higher income households were going out and spending in. So they were maybe more likely to be on furlough or to be made redundant. So they, they were seeing their incomes fall as well at the same time. So what we have seen is that for those groups, you know, we know there's a link between poverty and debt because obviously um, if you don't have a lot of money, of course, if one bill goes up, that, that increases your risk of falling behind on it. And um, so what we've seen is during the pandemic that those groups that were already at a higher risk of debt have in all likelihood seen their position deteriorate, whereas those groups that were already maybe in a more fortunate position were able to pay down a lot of, you know, kind of a softer debt that they might have built up over time. I know Matt's got quite a few questions on a, on the benefit system, but one area I just wanted to touch upon with you, and I'm not sure if your research got into it, but you know, the UK levelling up agenda, we did a pod on it recently, and I think some of the conclusions um, we came from that were around the benefit system. But did you, do you see the UK levelling up agenda, even in its infancy as it is now, having any impact in this area in Wales? It, you know, it has to tackle those inequalities that are baked into the system if it's going to mean anything. So, um, you know, as we've already discussed, um, those inequalities of incomes that we're now seeing, so that those on the highest incomes are seeing their incomes go up, those on the lowest incomes are seeing their incomes go down. You know, so if we don't target any levelling up funds, you know, correctly, we risk turbocharging 
that inequality actually developing further within, you know, even within our communities, let alone comparing the situation in parts of Wales versus elsewhere in the UK. Um, and, and building on that then, in kind of the point that we were talking about with debt as well, you know, that, 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 that's a similar process. So if people on lower incomes have built up debt over the past 12 to 24 months, even if income's recovered, a lot of that income, extra income anyone would be earning on the bottom end of the income distribution, they're going to have to be spending some of it, paying down the debt they've built up over the course of a pandemic. So any improvement in their quality of life is going to be some way down the line compared to people who've been in a fortunate position and have been able to pay that off. So unless we tackle kind of both those factors, any increased investment is just going to entrench those inequalities that have developed. Steph, so like Kerry warned you about, we're going to talk a little bit about the social security system now. It's been one of the most scrutinised parts of the state over the last two years or so. I mean, recently the Welsh Affairs Committee has been doing an inquiry into the benefit system in Wales. They've looked at both UK benefits delivered in Wales and also the creation of the, as it's been called, the Welsh benefit system. Would you be able to sort of create a distinction for our listeners between these two systems, as well as outline some of the problems and issues both these systems have with relation to how they contribute or alleviate poverty? Yeah, so the Welsh benefit system or the need for one is something that we've done a lot of work on actually, and I think we've been kind of maybe at the foreground really in terms of pushing this idea. So the idea came from it originally um, when, when you talk about social security in, in a devolved context, often the answer from Welsh government historically has been, well, it's terrible, isn't it? But there's not much we can do about it. But actually we started thinking you know, about things like free school meals, um, cancer tax reduction scheme, poor education maintenance allowance, support for young learners. You know, these are benefits. You know, we, we either providing cash directly to families on a means test, or we provide and support in lieu of cash, so you know, providing something for free. And we did a bit of work, and we worked out that going back now to 2019-20, that the amount of money that the Welsh government was spending on this rag bag of grants and gifts um, was more than the UK government was spending on job seekers allowance and the work element of universal credit in Wales. So we were spending a huge, we've been spending a huge amount of money on what is essentially benefits, but haven't viewed it as a system. And that's where that idea comes from, is that by recognising that as part of one system, you can make it far easier for people to access. You can make the eligibility criteria more generous, um, you know, so that you can help more people. And also you can make that support better as well. So it's basically something that complements and mitigates for the failures of the main UK social security system. So stuff like universal credit, housing benefits, et cetera, um, you know, those sorts of big benefits that people maybe associate more with when they're talking about benefits. Yeah, and it's something that we think can play a role. And I think we have seen Welsh government growing confidence over the course of the pandemic on this as well. And, um, you know, so the recent announcement, for example, of providing £100 to all households um, in receipt of universal credit to cope with um, winter fuel um, bills this winter. I don't think that would have happened a year ago. Um, you know, so I think there is a growing recognition maybe within Welsh government and within Welsh you know, civil society more broadly that there's probably more interest in stuff that we can do in this space to really help families, you know, even if we can't get UK government to shift on some of the big problems with, with the UK system. I mean, one of the biggest areas in which the Welsh benefit system and the limits thereof have been discussed in the last 
well, six months or so is the Welsh government's basic income pilot, which is their care leavers income pilot. Uh, you you would obviously be aware of the work done by the Future Generations Commission in relation to alternative basic income models. Would you be able to talk to us a little bit about the potential for a basic income to alleviate poverty in Wales and how realistic it is that a Welsh government can take that forward? Yes, it's it's one of those where the what's devolved that isn't devolved, I think is probably a bit more clear maybe in this space. So, you know, so I think what we've learned from the pandemic is that, you know, well, firstly, you know, it would, would it be easier to do different things if you had powers over social security devolved? Yes, you know, because it's clear then what you're able to do or not. So, for example, in Scotland, where they've introduced the Scottish child payment, that's clearly devolved to Scotland. You don't need to be creative about coming up with things and trying to work it within your powers. Um, so that gives you the ability to do so. So from the powers that the Welsh government have, it's hard to see really that they currently got the powers to develop a basic income style model. So I guess the conversation then becomes about if that's what you want to pursue is how would you develop those powers? How would you make it so that it worked you know, with the current system. And there's also, um, I, I guess, kind of, so one of the things that always comes up in discussions about devolving powers over social security is is the costings of it. So, you know, Welsh government, I think, rightly have said that they wouldn't want to see powers devolved. That would lead to them burdening, you know, having to fund more of the system than is fair, given that Wales has higher rates of poverty, etc. So all those questions come into it. So basic income is one thing that you might be able to do that might be able to make a difference but given that there's a lot of complications around whether they've got the power to do it or not there may be some more immediate things that welsh government could be able to do within that space for example talking about the scottish child payment building on the work that the welsh government has done with the winter fuel fund could welsh government be creative and change the development grant access so that the grant that low income and children from low income families have in schools could it be creative and just really able that the learner support fund or something and just basically use it as a vehicle to give you know create the child part of the child payment so they, they, those are sort of questions i can imagine but you know but we could look at maybe more in the space in terms of the current set of powers that the welsh government has you're thinking now a little bit about powers that the welsh government wants and as a really, really obvious bridge to talking about the cooperation agreement, we can see in the cooperation agreement that Welsh Labour and Plaid Cymru are calling to, well, are looking into the devolution of the administration of welfare. Why, for the benefit of our listeners, are Plaid and Labour calling for the devolution of the administration of welfare as opposed to the devolution of welfare? And is it simply because they're concerned about the financial ramifications or potential ramifications of that? power being developed yeah i suspect so i i think you know and 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 therefore it's easier to do i guess you know if you don't have to worry about working out the finances side of it that becomes a bit easier to look at so and there's a range of stuff you could do here as well so there's some really really tacky stuff for example so the local housing allowance determines how much housing benefit of housing element of universal credit a private renter low-income private renter gets in wills that is determined according to what's called a, a broad rental market area. So basically kind of a, a, your local geography. That is determined by DWP 
And the ones we've got in Wales, there's no relation to any other tier of governance we have. And you know, given how many different tiers of governance we have in Wales, that is some achievement. So, you know, you 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 know, that's something that is really super tech. You probably wouldn't cost much to develop that. So you could make that streamline that a bit maybe easier across other other public services. You're then looking at stuff where those powers are already devolved to Scotland. So for example, as a default, universal universal credit payments are made monthly. And the idea is that that then makes it more in line with work that people get paid monthly. But that's a very middle class idea about how people get paid. You know, a lot of people actually, especially at the lower end of the income distribution, get paid every week, every other week, ad hoc, you know, et cetera. So what they've done in Scotland is to make it easier for people to have their payments twice a month. You know, so that's something that, okay, is that going to radically reduce the number of people living in poverty? Probably not. But would it make life easier for those families? Probably yes. So that's the kind of stuff where you might be able to do make a difference to people's lives in a way that they don't have to necessarily get involved in the whole cost conversation. Interestingly, previously, Welsh government have been quite reluctant to discuss all of this stuff because their argument had been that they are against sanctions, um, understandably, and therefore they don't want any part to play in a system where sanctions remain. So sanctions is the idea that if you don't apply for enough jobs or don't turn up for an appointment, etc., the amount of benefits you get gets cut. And the Welsh government said, no, we don't want anything to do about that. Therefore, we don't want any powers over it. Our argument had always been kind of has been, well, yes, we understand that point. But at the same time, why wouldn't you want to make things easier for people, even within a system that we disagree with on, on, on sanctions? So that does seem to signal a shift from Welsh government to what the position was maybe 24 months ago. So that is something I suspect hasn't been talked about much, but that does seem a win for Clyde, actually. But, but that, that is a step forward to maybe where the discussion had been recently. So you, you've thankfully uh, crossed my really awkward bridge talking about the cooperation agreement, Steph. So what does this agreement mean for poverty in Wales? And, and to what extent do you think it will alleviate and eradicate poverty? So I think it's definitely a major step forward. You know, there, there are policies in there that ourselves and others have been calling for for a long time that will make life better for families. So the commitment that all primary school pupils are going to be getting free school meals in the next three years, you know, and, you know, we're particularly pleased that that's got a date on it because there's there's a lot in the cooperation agreement that's a bit vague, um, you know, so we don't uh, wait and see, whereas that's got a date on it. So that's something that maybe those of us, you know, outside government can, uh, can you know, push. That's positive, you know, looking at council tax again is another positive step as well, you know, because we know that's a particular problem maybe for low paid workers in particular low income workers get really hit by that because you don't necessarily get access to support through the council tax reduction scheme you know and there's um, things around childcare which are going to be really positive and also whilst this is one of those areas where it's quite vague but the recognition that we need to do more on housing affordability i think is also to be welcomed and and will make a difference i guess there are limitations to what the Welsh government through the cooperation can do in terms of, of eradicating poverty. You know, if you have a UK government that is insistent on cutting the real terms values of social security benefits, that is going to inherently impact how effective your steps, your measures are going to be at reducing the overall headline number living in poverty. But what the commitments do mean is that even if we can't get the headline numbers down, Oh, we could see some improvement, but even if you count the headline numbers down, 
individual families will see their lives bet made better, you know, than they would have been otherwise. So, you know, so going back to the data we were talking at the start about one in 10 families with two children reporting that, you know, they're cutting back on food for their children. Well, at least with universal school meals for all primary schools, those children are guaranteed one healthy meal a day, um, hot meal a day, you know, in school. So it will make a difference to families. It will make lives better. And I think there is, and you know, it's definitely a step forward um, in the cooperation agreement. Would we like to see them do more? Absolutely. You know, um, as ever, as you, you know, would be surprised, we want to see continual action. But I think it's definitely a step forward in recognising that there's more that we can do in Wales, even if the UK government is uh, are taking actions that we, we wouldn't necessarily agree with. One of the areas you identify in, in the recent Bevan Foundation report is issues relating to, to housing and sort of more than one in 20 houses are, how 20 households are worried about losing their home over the next three months. 6% of households have already been told that they will lose their home. To what extent do you think the cooperation agreement is dealing with, with the housing crisis? So I think, I mean, it's a step forward that it recognises some of the challenges, you know, so the fact that was vague on on rent caps that it recognizes that that might be a route we can go down i think you know is positive you know there's but there's other you know there's other issues beyond that as well so you know we did some work i think i think the data is from 2016 but it's something that we're looking at the moment to do an updated piece of work on but around a billion pound a year is spent on how was spent on housing benefit in wales in 2016 you know so that's that's a billion quid that's going on subsidizing rents rather than subsidizing the construction of new social housing that will be cheaper for people to rent you know and kind of better i'd argue kind of better use of public funds because when you subsidize rents you don't get much back for that you know that money especially in the private rental sector that money just goes to landlords you don't see much return on that you don't have an asset at the end of it you're just helping people in the short term in housing and i think there is a space maybe to move a conversation on a bit further as well, you know, to kind of, so whilst it's great to see that controls on the private sector might be coming into our way of thinking, in the long term, does it make sense to continue to prop up the private rental market with, with state cash when we've got data from, um, in the report we published back in September, showing that for those on the lowest incomes who receive housing benefit of housing element universal credit, if, if they're looking to rent, at the moment in Wales, their benefit only stretches to cover about 5% of the market, you know, cover the rent in full. So, you know, so, so the system doesn't work as it is, and, we, and we're trying to top that up. So rent controls might be a part of the answer in the short term, but maybe hopefully the agreement opens up the space to have those discussions about longer term, moving moving away and thinking, thinking a bit deeper about affordability, um, rather than just the headline stuff maybe that has been the tendency uh, over recent years. There was a report from the Social Justice and Equality Committee, the Senate recently, which said that the worst was yet to come for the most vulnerable in Welsh society. Do you think that's still the case? Do you think that with the cooperation agreement in place, there are you know serious efforts underfoot to, to change that situation? Do you think things like the launch of the winter fuel support scheme really make a difference to people's lives? Or do you think they are just sort of papering over the cracks of a, of a much more broad and systemic problem? I think there's probably worse to come this winter. I think the winter fuel scheme is absolutely to be welcomed. You know, 
hundred pound is a lot of money for anyone, let alone for people on the lowest incomes, and that will make a difference to people at a challenging time of year. But that covers up basically um, five weeks worth of the Universal Credit Cup. So you know, by by the middle of February, the value of that in relation to you know what households are losing out on will have been washed away. Now that's not to say that they shouldn't have done it. It's good that they've done it. It's better than had they not. Um, but given that you know we're still heading into the coldest months with very you know high numbers of households you know already reporting cutting back on their energy costs, I think it's likely that we're going to see more more households do that. I guess. There are some stuff in the cooperation agreement that hints at maybe a better future where households will have more of their basic needs covered. Um, and the positive thing from the survey as well is that we found that there is public support for, for Welsh Government taking more action in, in, in this field. So the cooperation agreement does provide a hint that there could be a better future. But that is set against a challenging economic landscape in terms of employment and also gets a challenging landscape at Westminster, where there is no real indication that the government is serious about kind of reforming the social security system in terms of making it more generous to people as well. Steph, one thing uh, people talk to me a lot about is the Welsh government's sort of trepidation to use their tax powers in order to, to redistribute wealth or to fund other public services. Do you think that as things get harder for people, the Welsh government should really consider using its taxation levers to to try and alleviate some of the the, the poverty and the concern of people in Wales. Yeah, well, I I think inevitably those questions like are, are going to arise. I think you know it's not something I've done a lot of work on on personally, but I always always remember a presentation that Gitto Ivan from the Wales Governance Centre did looking at council tax versus income tax in terms of um, you know the impact of rising both just before the pandemic I think where you showed that rising income tax by 1p in the pound and freezing council tax allows you to raise the same amount of money but in a far more progressive way than relying on council tax to do the heavy lifting for you so that's one example of maybe where we could look at in future, you know, will that come up in the discussions on council tax reform? I'm not sure, but you know, that that's certainly you know something that stayed with me in terms of where we could do choices that that would be more progressive in the way that we fund public services. The one thing which struck me from the cooperation agreement that there there is a word that doesn't really feature much, and that's the economy. It only appears twice, and once is in relation to net zero, and once is in the context of education. Do you, do you think that's a glaring omission, or do you think what is in there um, makes up for that? Yeah, I think that that is an interesting omission. I think um, you know, it's um, I guess Welsh government would argue that there was stuff in the program for government um, outside of the cooperation agreement. But I, th I think it, it it is an important space, and you know, you know things like uh, but things that were in the program for government that you'd want to see taken forward in that space. It's stuff around, you know, the Fair Work agenda, you know, so, um, um, you know, the work of the Fair Work Commission, how can we get more people paid for real living wage in Wales, how can we improve terms and conditions in the workplace, that stuff matters as well, and it's important that we take that forward and, and, we, and, and we try and grow the economy by working with that at the front of what we're trying to achieve, so I think, yeah, I think it is something that you, you may well have expected to see more of, probably. I'm going to come on to, I've got a question forming in my head, but one of the ones I, I did want to ask you while we've got you is that um, 
just building on what uh, Victoria Winkler from the Bevan Foundation, you may you may know her, said in a recent pod. It was around the education maintenance allowance, and that that's a bit of an issue, really, at the moment, isn't it? You know, can you talk us through a little bit more on that aspect? Yeah, so I think that's definitely one of the major omissions, um, as far as I'm concerned, and um, from the cooperation agreement is um, the support available for young adults and older children. So, you know, there's lots of really good things in the cooperation agreement for younger children, I think. So we've talked about school meals and and um, childcare already, but there's nothing in there about expanding school meals for secondary school pupils. And we know there's a lot of children missing out on school meals there who are living in poverty. And you've mentioned the education and maintenance, maintenance allowance. So that provides £30 a week for children from lower income households to continue an education um, between 16 and 18. That has not increased for, since, um, I think I'm saying, 2004 5. And um, so that was 30, it was £30 a week then. When we kind of ran that numbers through kind of inflation, the inflation calculators, if it had increased in line with inflation, it would now be at £45 a week. So that's a huge difference in terms of you know, value of that support that's missing. And also, they've haven't increased the eligibility income threshold either. So the young people getting that support are now poorer than their peers were when that support was introduced back in 2004-05. And the Welsh Government has always argued that we've defended EMA in Wales, you know, compare that with England, where EMA has been got rid of. But, you know, I, I'd question how, you know, long term, are you really defending it, um, you know, when, when, you, when you're reducing the value of something in that way? And so given that it wasn't in the cooperation agreement, you know, we can assume that it'll be frozen again for another three years. So that's 20 years there of a benefit not being increased, not being upgraded. Um, so its value for society is going to be reducing. And I think it's made even more curious when you think that there's actually quite generous support available for um students from low-income households you know so get far more grant funding you know for to cover don't have to face as many loans as children from you know middle to higher income households but are we losing young people from the system between 16 and 18 because they can't afford to hang on until that more generous support becomes available at 18 so i think there's a real kind of that's a real gap that we really need to look at and in particular given that you know going back to what you were talking about the economy that gap in the you know challenging labor market you know, we should be doing everything we can to encourage young people to stay and develop their skills so that they can go maybe for higher qualified jobs. And that, that gives them a better chance in life in terms of avoiding being in low paid sectors and, and, and at risk of poverty. I'm going to go a little bit off script now, Steph, sorry. So it's not based on the research we did for the paper. But I, I worked in this area a long time ago. And um, one of the pieces of work uh, I ended up contributing to. We were suggesting that to, to tackle this kind of poverty in Welsh communities, it had to be a cross-government approach and we had to put massive funding into the big... So we haven't talked about health tonight, but health, education, economy, and do it in that kind of huge scale. And I think the research I looked at was showing where poverty had really been addressed was on those, those massive interventions. And piecemeal approaches, and what I was looking at it from was regeneration, but we were very much driving towards a pan-government kind of conclusion. Would you think that kind of position still stands, that if we're going to address the endemic poverty we've got in Wales, it's got to be massive intervention across all those sectors, pan-government, to have that kind of lasting impact? 
yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, so going back to, you know, maybe to the fundamentals of why do people live in poverty? Well, first, work is not enough of it for everyone and the and the work that is available isn't enough you know to pay people well and, and, and good terms and conditions for people the social security system doesn't provide people with those people who can't work with a good safety net and for those who do work that top up to make up for the fact that work you know isn't good enough and living costs are too high in particular housing and childcare are, are, are two big ones but probably truck energy in that at the moment as well and Whilst sometimes it feels a bit old school and kind of um, people say, oh, so haven't we done that before about you need to do something on each of those things to see a difference. But arguably, we've never actually done it. You know, we've done small scale things on each of these, but actually it costs to do the big investment. But you need to do that to see the returns as well. So, you know, and I think you're absolutely right, you know, in terms of there is a tendency to be piecemeal and I, and I understand in the devolved context there's you know there's limitations as well through the funding formula etc you know it's not Welsh government can't if it so chose you know just whack up um, income tax and come up with the wealth tax etc etc but you know that is fundamentally what we still haven't done as a society is is, is that large-scale investment in each of those uh, solutions to each of those causes. On which point I would encourage anyone who can get hold of Vibrant and Viable Places Regeneration Strategy, do read it, fantastic document, and not follow it at all. So, so the PDF is hanging around somewhere on the Welsh Government website, Kerry. I, um, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to circulate to anyone who wants it. <laughs> um, Steph, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. Before you go, you know, Christmas coming up, if you had one gift that you could request in terms of dealing with poverty in wales what would you do what would be the one big wish list item for you that could make a real significant difference or or as you me and carrie just been saying is it is that just too simple a way of looking at poverty does it need to just such a holistic approach to poverty that even trying to break it down into individual actions is just far too simplistic i i think you're right you know it is about i think it's about us having it at the front of our minds with everything we do policy-wise, you know, it, it has an impact on everything. It's pervasive throughout Welsh society. And, you know, the fact that we had 700,000 people living in poverty even before the pandemic, I think, you know, it's a stat that I think people maybe know about it somewhere, but, you know, it's, it, that should be at the centre of our politics all the time, you know, and, and I think having, you know, having that sense of urgency that we need to do something and doing things, I think is is as important, you know, and, you know, and even if we are taking piecemeal measures well let's take them let's get them done and let's build on them and do more and um, you know so free school meals for all primary school um children well let's not wait three years let's let's get as much of that done as we can and then once we've done that let's look at secondary school um, children you know so kind of building on the work we're doing all the time to create that urgency and to take that action okay i lied about one more question Steph. <laughs> if we have to have poverty at the front of our mind in everything we do in government if you have to have the environment at the front of your mind and everything you do in government, if you have to have recovery from COVID-19 at the front of your mind in everything you do in government, is there not a danger that instead of focusing on one and doing it well, that you try and focus on too many things, split your attention and end up not satisfactorily dealing with any of those major problems that we face? I think that's a good question, but I, th I, I think you have to because they're interlinked and 
so we've been doing some work with communities uh, across Wales over the last year, kind of, you know, getting people's lived experience of poverty and different challenges. And we had a discussion a, a few weeks ago with a community in Cardiff. And one thing really stood out at me was kind of how failing to take action on one thing risks another. So there was a concern about quality of um you know kind of maintenance in, in in some in some social housing someone had been waiting for a kitchen a new kitchen had been promised for two years and had now been said due to the fact that we're doing decarb retrofitting we probably won't have the money to do um, give you a new kitchen which had instantly turned this person understandably against the measures we need on the climate emergency so you know i think that shows you know that both these things have to be taken forward together because you know you're not going to get support for the action we need on the climate unless we eradicate and reduce poverty, and we're not going to you know achieve what you know kind of vice versa as well. So I think that I think that shows that thinking holistically about them has to be has to be really important. Dr. Steph Evans, thank you very much for coming on to talk to us. If people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Steph H Evans or um, at the Bevan Foundation as well or at Bevan Foundation. I think. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Steph. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please do not forget to find us on Medium at Here I Blog Cymru, on Facebook at Here I Blog Cymru, and on Twitter at Here I Blog. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.